This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. We'd better get cracking. We'd better get underway. <laughs> and that's the laugh from my author. Finding love and understanding is challenging. And these aspects are examined in Christos Tsiaukos' latest novel, The In-Between. So, Christos, welcome back to 3CR. Always a pleasure to be uh, in 3CR. Always a pleasure to be with you, David, yes. and with Jan. <laughs> and with authors. Also, and with Verena. It's a love a, fest at the moment. Yeah, a love a fest. Good now, dear friend. The novel's divided into five sections, and I was hoping to sort of touch on each as we go through, but the first section actually touches on perception and attraction when it comes to love. Perry and Ivan meet, but they both have a past. What's going on here? Okay, uh, uh, what's going on is that there are two men in their 50s. Uh, a couple of years divides them. Uh, Ivan's 55, Perry's or better geese is 53 when we meet them. They've both been broken in love, David. That's uh, that's what we find out through the novel. Uh, but in, what we get is it's the first day and night, it's the first meeting, and they've met online, but they haven't met through a sex app or a... Uh, and there's a reason for this. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's the... the Perry came first for me in, in writing this book. His was the first voice I heard. And in fact, that opening chapter, the first few paragraphs came to me. I don't know, Erin, this might happen with you too. Like there's some, t some moments when the words actually feel like they, they're dropping on you. It's, I, I, it sounds mystical. I don't mean it just... And I remember being in bed. It must have been about 2.33 in the morning and... Wayne, my partner, woke up and said, get out of bed and write it down. He could tell. Just And I was actually also doing the physical motions of Perry going through his wardrobe, stressed out about what is he going to wear on this date. He doesn't even know whether he can call it a date. Is he too old to go on a date? So these middle-aged men are meeting each other for the first time. They've texted, they've emailed, but they've never actually been in physical space together. And I thought it was absolutely right as those characters developed that they wouldn't meet on a Tinder or Grinder. They would actually go on a dating service because they're not looking for casual sex. They know where to get casual sex. They're looking for something else. And they're looking for something else because they've actually been hurt in the past. Yes. Uh, so uh, Perry has just he came back to Australia uh, just before COVID hit. Uh, he was working in Rouen in in Normandy in France. He's a translator, he's an academic. Ivan, uh, and he was in love with a married man, uh, a man married to a woman, older man called Gerard in France. So he's come and Gerard has basically said, it's, I cannot do this anymore, it's over. Ivan is, uh, he's, he's never been to uni. He works as a landscape gardener. He, because he came to, I guess, late adolescence, early adulthood, just as AIDS was hitting uh, our culture. And he was terrified of being gay. He just uh, And he married uh, a woman, very young, and he's got a daughter, and he's got a granddaughter when we first meet him. So he's a very different man to Perry. But it also speaks to the fact that our past influences any relationship that we are tentatively trying to generate. I think that, I mean, that's that's was exciting. I mean, 
clearly there's autobiography in everything we do, right? There's we we you know I think to be honest to um, what's that Hemingway Hemingway right line write the truest line write the truest line you can. So it has to come from your experiences, right? But there's also and I discovered this through the last book I did, which was. I think a defense of fiction. I'm also a, fic- a fiction writer. So this is not my story. I've been with Wayne for God, close to 39 years now. It's a different form of love to what these two men experienced, uh, different experiences. And I wanted to put myself in their shoes and imagine what the world was like from their perspective, which is what fiction can do, right? That's what I love about fiction. That's what is what I defend about fiction is I can put you in Ivan's shoes, I can put you in Leonard's shoes, I can put you in um, Perry's shoes. But also then we get perspectives of other people as well. I mean, uh, basically, Ivan had married Dana and Dana's a bit pissed off. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're bound, right? This is what was interesting is, and you know, this is in the... You create these stories and your characters and you think you know where you're going and then they do... Uh, as soon as I realised that I wanted to make this man, Ivan, a grandfather, that meant I had to think about the relationship he had with this woman, who may seem like a very minor character in the book, but she's going to be part of his life forever. But she's also had her own motivation of course, for and, the relationship. And I wanted to be really... I, I always want to... I think, you, you can't, I think I've always distrust writing where you can tell the writer is standing at a distance from their character and being judgmental about them. Of course, you make judgments in every sentence you write, but but I didn't want to... Pre- I want to make... I wanted to be in the skin of every character and I wanted to be fair to Dana as well, who's who's pretty horrible to Perry and is pretty horrible to But it, it was Ivan. an opportunity to escape her family. Yeah, she's a Italo Australian, my kind of generation. She's a very strict family. She fell in love with Ivan. Like, they were young. It may... Um, uh, she was deeply hurt and damaged and broken when she realised he was gay, that he had been lying to her all these years. And I wanted to get to the truth of that hurt as well. But We also then move on to section two and we have... A and story. his guilt, sorry, because there's, that's what's... I think that is the bond that will, is, will always play out between Dana and Ivan is because they share that, that hurt and that guilt. We also then have, well, in section two... Uh, Ivan's uh, landscaping, uh, a garden, and we have this encounter. He's doing it for Anna Zangalis, an elderly Greek woman, and there's this encounter with her son when he arrives back. Make me coffee. And with that, he storms off to the toilet. Ivan could knock his block off. He feels revulsion for him. There's no civility or humility in Arthur. And what happens with that encounter between Arthur and his mother uh, really is quite astonishing because then uh, Anna basically collapses uh, and Arthur turns to jelly but it seems to be cultural look I think the Arthur is a is a kind of man I know very well and sometimes I worry that the, uh, there's a part of me that is Arthur who is so adored and loved by his mother uh, that there's a childishness to him um, even though he's, you know, he's a man in his forties, I think, right? In the in the book, I've, uh, as I said, I can see that in myself sometimes. I can see it in the culture generally. There's something about, you know, he's being from a, a Greek family that 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 anyone listening to this who knows the, 
those community, my community will say, will will recognise elements of Arthur in people they know. But it speaks. Oh, sorry, no, no, go. Was, but it speaks to the influence our culture has on relationships that we're trying to form. Yeah, and and again, the same way where I wanted to be fair with Dana, I wanted to be fair with Arthur because he's an absolute. Arsehole. Sorry, can I say that on 3CA? You just yeah. have. Um, <laughs> to his mother, but he also deeply loves her in that, and because his emotions have remained childish, he, when she collapses, he collapses because yeah. he's suddenly confronted with loss. And loss is another, I'm going to, I don't want to reveal too much, but loss is also something I'm dealing with in this novel. Section three is a dinner, and there's an interplay of ideas, attitudes. Um, Hardest scene to write this one. <laughs> um, but also then, uh, there's Cora, a friend of Perry's, who's originally said about his relationship with Gerard, you must know it doesn't have a future. And she's right. And yet Perry can't necessarily Perry. see it. Um, but also then, later on, there's a whole discussion about the media and attitudes, um, which bring these friends almost into conflict really i mean the one about uh, women and attitudes towards women if i can just i'm, I'm going to say david with, with that actually one of the really early instincts you know in terms of writing the, the book for me was i wanted to and I started something else i actually started two projects that didn't go anywhere but they were about how do we communicate with civility at a time where everyone is so polarised, where everyone, you know, and I, um, and I had two false starts with two novels that went nowhere about that. But what I wanted to do with Ivan and Perry say, how, would do, how do these two very, very different people fall in love, learn how to care for one another, learn how to argue with one another, and I think that's really, to me, that's a really important thing to express at the moment in the culture. And it was that, and to, I think to explain to the listeners too, that it's five chapters in the in-between. Each chapter is a day and a night. And each chapter is about a year apart. So we, we actually follow this story across five years, but we only see a day of that year. So we get us... And, just as what happens in a relationship, so by chapter three, this is getting into the third year of the relationship, Perry is being changed by Ivan and Ivan is being changed by Perry. But the thing that they ha Perry hasn't done yet is introduce him to his old university friends. And I wanted, to, I wanted to write a scene, and that was why it was so hard to get it right, where how do people argue? Because Ivan is coming to the table. He's never been to uni. He doesn't actually share the the politics and I remember saying to my publisher I think the hardest thing about people accepting this novel is that Ivan's a swinging voter <laughs> but I, I really wanted that I wanted to know I, I wanted to create something that was real about the arguments I think we're all having and the fears we have about how to argue at the moment and I think it's in Ivan's kindness uh, about that dinner that something about the importance of the relationship is expressed. Well, Perry comes to his uh, defence at mm. one point. They're talking about the roles of men and women, the attitudes, the roles of the media and those sorts of influences. 
but we're going to have to move on, otherwise we're never going to finish yeah. this book. Section four, in some ways, is about guilt because Ivan basically uh, meets up with a male prostitute who has actually helped him in the past recover. And also I find Troy, who's the, the, the sex worker, and he, he's so much younger, right, than, um, than these two men. He has grown up in a completely different world to Ivan and Perry. In ter- and also his sense of his body and his sense of sexuality is a complete... He doesn't have what I have, which is a history of shame in the same way, right? And it made sense again when I was thinking about Ivan that he, after he was broken, his heart was broken by betrayal from his former lover, Joe, that he would find... I, I just knew that he would not be a man I could see comfortably walking into a gay bar who could comfortably use Grinder, And I, it made sense that he would actually seek out a sex worker like Troy. But at the same time, there's a power play. Here of course. Because there's a transaction. And part of the transaction, yeah. Troy, I mean, that's, what, that's why he contacted Troy, right? Is, mm. to, is to work out his pain. To work out his pain. But now he's got the guilt... As well, because he's in a relationship with Perry, and there's that interchange there as well. well guilt is throughout for for Ivan. I think that's his. Uh, bec- uh, there's also, you know, there's. So, I don't, uh, we talked a bit before about uh, guilt in terms of the dinner party scene. There's also a guilt around violence and how how men's violence plays out. I, and again, I don't want to give anything away, but that's one of the things that Ivan's dealing with and trying to deal with and through the relationship with Troy. The act of sex can be violent mm. as well. But you come to the last section, and it's actually told from the point of view of Lena, who is... Ger- Not in Melbourne. She's in Athens. In Athens. She's Gerard's daughter, and she touch bases with Perry because she's found her father's journals and a letter intended for Perry. And this is the most touching of the chapters in many. Oh, ways. thank you for saying that, David. Because I have a real, I really like Lena. I really like. Uh, look, there's something that happens in the in between, and it comes to 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 the title. There are, and this is when I knew I had a book. Uh, uh, that moment where you went, "Am I just sketching things? Is it going anywhere?" And we're in the middle of chapter one. I introduce a character who's across from the restaurant where the, the men are having dinner. And for two paragraphs, we go into her head. And I don't know, again, that was an instinct, but it came from thinking about, this is a novel about how we communicate. And one of the ways we communicate in our world at the moment is that we know there are millions of other stories around us. And Erin, you know this, the question we, we constantly are dealing with, why are we writing do we have the right to write the way we're writing? In what voices are we writing? And I thought, actually, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to confront that and put these moments of a, these characters, almost like cameos in a film that come into the book. And then Lena becomes one of those cam- cameos who finds, who, and she becomes a chapter. But it also brings about a form of reconciliation because we can put Gerard's actions in perspective. And really... And th- this book... Sorry, David, I interrupted. No, 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 no. We're going to have to wind it up, unfortunately. Um, This care, this love, this is not possession. Uh, And that is what Ivan and Pericles have, that that, that notion of finding another form 
of love in some ways a more sustainable form uh, which they come to terms with. Unfortunately, Christos, we are going to have to wind up the interview and there's so much to touch on, but the book is called The In-Between, the author Christos Tsialkos, and it's an Alan and Unwin release. So thank you very much for Our talking. Our pleasure, David. Now, Christos has often referred to Erina through his little chat there, and that's the author that I'm speaking with, Erina Ridden. Now, she's written a book called Deep in the Forest. Well, perhaps you have visited a picturesque country town like Stone Lake. In winter, the lake freezes over and the forest is majestically mirrored in it. There are large homes built when the area was first settled and a township where everybody knows each other. And Deep in the Forest is the title of Erin Redden's book. So welcome. It's, it's the first time on this side of the desk for you. Erin <laughs> yeah. has panelled here before. Well, I actually hosted the very first program. I'm not sure it's the very first program, but the writing book called What a, the writing program called What a Wordsworth Here. So I feel like this is a beautiful homecoming. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you. And with Christos as well, because Christos and I both worked on the current affairs program at different times in the morning as well. So it's like we're back <laughs> yeah, home. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, amazing. It's a real pleasure. Now enough of that. On to the book now. Okay, let's talk book, 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 book. Charlotte Trenton, or Charlie, she's 27 years old and lives deep in the forest. Yeah. Well, she she's this young woman who's kind of an outcast in her town because she comes from a very settled... Uh, important family in the area and her grandmother and her mother have really been really admired but she is not admired partly because she's a bit of an oddball herself but also because she's had this terrible experience of being blamed for a devastating bushfire that's come through this town but she does live in this beautiful old mansion which she does not feel as hers because her mother's gone her grandmother's gone so she lives in two rooms she lives in her studio because she's a bookbinder where she does she sleeps in her studio she can't go upstairs she can't go upstairs to the rooms that her mother inhabited and she lives in the kitchen there are her two rooms in this big old dusty mansion full of beautiful things and she does have a dog that really runs his own life, doesn't it? <laughs> well, he's a bit of a stray, and he's a bit of a mangy stray, mangy, uh, stray but uh, really important in the story. He carries a lot of the weight of her relationship to the world and her relationship to herself. And as we know, pets just, they're such sole guardians for us, aren't they? Well, Charlie blames herself for her mother's death, and she's, as you said, ostracised by the township. Why do they hate her so much? Well, partly because she she is a person that wasn't has never felt good in her skin. Um, that was one of the reasons why her mother has she has a lot of guilt around her mother's death. Um, her mother's been gone a year when the story opens, but she feels that there's a sense of um, her mother used to be the skin between her and the other people in the town. She no longer has that skin. And because of her grief, her oddness is starting to come back. Over the years, she's kind of managed herself a bit more. So she kind of lives, um, she lives a pretty successful life. But it's this bushfire. People think that she has started the bushfire. And there's good evidence to suggest she did. But she doesn't, a bracelet of hers is found at the you know, ground zero. She doesn't recognise the bracelet. It doesn't kind of work for her. And that's the first sense that you get there's going to be a lot of secrets and a lot of lying going on. The local policeman, Sergeant Balascos, 
had his farm burnt down and is personally vindictive towards Charlie. And the story starts with Charlie living by herself remotely and hearing cars driving up her driveway. It's really, it's a very scary moment for her. So she's just had this moment where she's heard these um, wolves um, howling in the forest and then she goes, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, they're just they're just in the forest. We find out later that the wolves are a very important part of the story as well. But at that moment, she's just very frightened um, However, she calms herself down and then the real danger comes. That's when the, these young boys hoon up in their cars and they're out to get it because they know she's about... The one thing is she's desperate to leave um, Stone Lake and she has a one-way ticket out. So she's going to work with a beautiful, one of the masters of bookbinding because she's quite, you know, she's a great bookbinder herself and has a real reputation. But she's going to Venice. Um, they know she's going and they don't want to let her go because without punishing her in some way. Yes, well, they've <clears throat> written uh, in red paint, burn, bitch, over some of the work. Uh, over her the, the fountain in the, yeah, and the circular drive. Alex, the leader of this group, he's the local policeman's son and, quote, his face was contorted with alcohol and bitterness. Mm. Uh, mm. Well, mm. but Charlie's saved by Amra. Well, Amra's her... Um, uh, Charlie... The thing that I think that Christos and I both stand in a moment as writers that is incredibly important. And your way, Christos, you, 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 you do these beautiful realisations of, of how people interact. I've taken a lens in terms of coercive power, like coercive power in terms of intimate relationships, community in a town and in the local sanctuary, which we'll get to, um, the religious closed community there. So... The thing is that she really feels um, she doesn't have many people, but she's got Amra, and Amra's this great character. Mm. Like she's a, uh, she's she's kind of an outcast herself because remember we're in a very kind of homogeneous homogeneous society, and she looks very different because she has a refugee background. So there's already a sense of kind of she's not quite right as well. So together they've found each other, and she wants to be a comedian against her, a stand-up comedian against her father's. Her father's really worried what a, a woman in public is going to be dangerous. So there's a lot of covert kind of going along to gigs with um, with Charlie. Well, now Charlie. To get rid of some of the angst, she runs. Mm. And if she runs 40 minutes through the forest, she'd get to the sanctuary. And this is where the books... Well, what happens is that um, she has got this one-way ticket out of Stone Lake, kind of really mounting with guilt and secrets and all these things that are swirling around her. And she gets this cryptic message from somebody who's locked behind the, the gates. She doesn't even know this person. So she, she, that message leads to her finding something horrific deep in the forest. And then she starts, she, it goes on a journey. She knows because so many people are suspicious of her that she's going to end up being framed for it, as she is indeed. So she has to fight for her innocence. But in that fighting for her innocence, she uncovers all these dark secrets and we're not inside the cult. We're not inside the gates of the sanctuary. It's like... Um, but she's doing their anniversary book, um, so she has insight. So it's like we've got little peepholes, just the way we, outside, you know, the readers will have experience of looking into these, what we assume is dark places. 
And along with the reader, Charlie has to piece together the final big picture, which is quite explosive in terms of it's not what you think it's going to be. It's actually, it's there's a there's a there's a twist in there. Yeah. And there's the sanctuary and the com- the community, the township. They have a relationship with each other. You know, there has been a lot of media suspect about this sanctuary as a dry, drug rehab facility. Especially since a few years ago, somebody, a young girl, went missing. Yeah, and so this whole relationship is very interesting because they're very close. The community is dependent, um, the Stone Lake community is dependent on the sanctuary because the sanctuary is this beautiful, organic, you know, they make organic produce, they do artisanal furniture. And so economically, they bring in a lot of tourists. However, so they're really kind of, and politicians come by and really back it because they run this drug rehab for young kids off the streets from the city and it's very successful. And, you know, journalists come and say, oh, this is a beautiful place. So it looks good. Um, So that's, it's, and the whole journey of this book is to unravel that. Now, the thing is about that, um, because the sanctuary is such a closed community, though, you don't know what's going on behind those closed doors. And a year ago, there has been a young woman who had left the sanctuary already. She'd already exited, but then we get a message from her, she's, and she's disappeared, mm. and she said, I'm being kidnapped. So that kind of gives you a sense of, it, it sets the kind of, the, 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 ambi- the ambience on the plot level, like the forest sets the ambience yeah. on the kind of the, the mood level, and they work together. That work together? Well, there's somebody in the sanctuary who comes out of the sanctuary to help her with her work of bookbinding. Yeah. And that's Zach. Another quote. He's so clean-cut and fresh-faced handsome, like the romantic lead from an American vampire series. <laughs> <laughs> But he's got plans for the sanctuary. What does he want to do? Okay, so he's this, he's kind of an outsider. He's from the, uh, a southern, he's from southern, South America, uh, no, not southern, the south of North America, of the US. So he's got this um, beautiful kind of charming sense and he's very charismatic. But he has, his own background is that he used to be in the army and he's been very traumatised that by that. So he's found his way into the sanctuary because it's a place of healing for him. And that's how he talks about it. We come here and we have to close the gates because the world is too harsh for us. We have to live here. But he knows that it's, very, it's a very conservative place. So his plan is to modernise it. Things like... Um, let's not the women all have to wear these you know very modest clothes neck to, and you know ha- kerchiefs around their head he wants to change that he wants more leadership on the um, he wants more women on the leadership he wants people to have pets he wants to open up the sanctuary once a month so that the community can be part of it he really wants to create something much more modern because as he says you know we're doing so much good and if we want to do more we have to be transparent otherwise people are going to be suspicious of us and that's one of the tensions in deep in the forest this sense of who are they really what is really going on behind those gates sex says to charlie another quote this is the third time in just over a year first your mother then that fire now this you don't deserve any of it yeah. So who can we trust? And Good why? question. <laughs> well, he's a very, you know, he's he sees her. And remember, Charlie's a person that 
is not used to being seen. She was seen by her mother and her mother's gone. She's seen by her friend Amra and that's about it. That's all she has in the world. So to have this man come in to see who she really is, it it opens her up and she it opens up to a whole world of possibility of romance and love and intimacy that she's never felt was available to her. So it's a beautiful kind of flowering of a transformation in her. Charlie blames herself for her mother's death and the township blames her for a bushfire and now she's found another police investigation. Can these incidents be connected to the sanctuary? A conservative closed community in deep in the forest, a crime thriller by Erina Redden. Oh yes, <laughs> and twists and turns in it Erina. Oh that's just good read. Great, it's really great to be with you all here. That takes us out for it another does. week. We've well, got a minute or two left. And but. these talk just keep chatting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to go out for coffee. <laughs> yeah, which is, yes. I mean, it is, a, it is, it's lovely because of the history we have as friends, but also the history here at uh, 3CR. It's a, it's a really And in the writing joyous. world. I yeah. Mean, how, there's so many overlaps. There's so many kind of things that nourish the worlds that we live in. Well, that, yeah. yeah. And 3CR is just one of those one things. One of those amazing things. <laughs> brings people together. <laughs> yes. Well, that takes us out for another week, Jan. Yes, so we'll be back next week with more authors. Indeed. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.